lead pastor here at CCC, and I just want to thank you for those that are regular attenders and welcome those of you who are guests here with us this morning. So when was the last time you made a wrong turn? Maybe for some of you it was recently as this morning on your way to church as you were daydreaming and not paying attention to where you were going and you made a wrong turn. Maybe it was sometime this week or your last road trip. Um, it's harder to make long turns these days because of our phones and Google Maps and Siri and all those things, one would assume, but not always. Uh, two weeks ago on Memorial Day, my, uh, we spent the day in Annapolis to celebrate my wife Christine's birthday. And uh, one of the things that my wife loves to do is she loves to give directions. There's just one problem. My wife is really bad with directions self-professed really bad with directions, but she always, always wants to grab the phone and say, let me give you the directions. I'm like, okay, you can give the directions. And so what happened was we were there in Annapolis looking for this place we're going to go and eat has happened many, many times. So we're driving down the road, we get to this place, and I'm pretty confident that's where we're going over there, and she says, make a left. And at that moment in time, I have to decide how disruptive I want our marriage relationship to be, you know. Um, and so usually I will say, okay, we'll go left. So we go left, and in about five minutes, we end up back at the exact same spot again, um, where I know we should have to go to the right. And she said, no, I'm pretty sure we need to go to the left. And I'm like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And guess what? We go to the left. And then eventually she comes and sheepishly says to me, okay, I really have no idea where we're going. I'm like, okay, let's go over here. And she's like, how did you know that? I'm like, I just know. That's all. I just know. But every once in a while, when either I'm by myself or when I have control of the directions, um, I will take a turn and I'll realize I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at. And at that moment of time, I feel a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of concern, because I'm not sure where I'm going to go and and. Um, it feels a little stressful to me. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you're driving and you make a wrong turn and you aren't sure where to go next, it feels a little stressful to you? Let me see your hands. How many of you? Okay, a good portion of us in the room. How many of you, when you make a wrong turn and you don't know where you're going, you're like, wow, I'm excited, a new adventure. Let me see your hands. How many of you are out there? Okay, there's a couple weirdos out there, you know, but, uh, you know, but... The rest of us are normal, but no. You know, for most of us, not all, but most of us, we feel a little anxiety when we make a wrong turn. We feel a little uncertain when we make a wrong turn. Why is that? Why is that? Because when we make a wrong turn, we anticipate that something bad is going to happen. We anticipate that something bad is going to happen. And why is that? Because that's often the way life works, right? You don't make a wrong turn and have good things come out of it, usually, at least not right away. I mean, think about the last time you were in a relationship and the relationship ended poorly. Did you immediately find the love of your life? Probably not. You probably binged on chocolate and Netflix is probably what you did, right? as you're dealing with your own sadness and sense of loss. I mean, think about the last time you made a bad turn professionally. Did you immediately find the job of your dreams? Probably not. You probably took a step backwards, maybe spent some time searching for a job, maybe spent some time on unemployment, maybe used up a chunk of your savings. You know, think about the last time you took a wrong turn financially. You bought something. Oh, that was a bad decision. You spent, oh, I should have never. And where does that lead you? Does that lead you getting invited to the Ellen Show and getting a big check? Probably not, you know. But it can lead you saying, oh, now i got to pinch pennies. Now I, gotta, I can't spend money on this. I can't do that. Why? Because a bad turn often leads 
in most of our lives to a dark valley. And in our series entitled Unconventional Wisdom, what we're doing over these last couple of weeks is we've been looking at statements, at phrases that show up in our culture, sometimes show up in the church, and we've been looking at what God has to say about these statements. Because conventional wisdom says this is generally accepted to be true. And what's generally accepted to be true is a dark valley usually comes when I make a wrong turn. But my question to you is what does God say about this? And that's what we want to explore this morning. You see, conventional wisdom says when I'm in a dark valley, I made a wrong turn. If I find myself in a dark season, hard times, difficult place, I must have done something wrong. My pain is God's retribution or God's way of paying us back. And in our culture, we describe this with one word. Anybody know what that one word is? Karma, right? Karma. That's how we describe it. It's actually a Hindu belief that you get back what you give. If you do good, good will come back to you. If you do bad, bad will come back to you. What goes around, goes around, goes around, goes all the way back around, said Justin Timberlake a few years ago. Um, And so we have this sense that um, when I do something good, good is going to happen. And so if I'm in this bad place, I must have done something bad. This didn't start with us. It goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. When Jesus was there, they saw his followers, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples, Jesus' followers, says, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? They're trying to figure out who did something wrong here that this dark valley, this painful situation happened. Did this guy do something wrong? Did he do something so bad or evil or egregious that God's punishment on him was he lost his sight? Or or maybe his parents did something so bad that the consequence for them was a child who couldn't see. The consequence for them was a child who would have to beg for a living, who could not provide for them and take care of them when they got older or up in age and could not provide for himself. Is that the consequence that God had for them? Well, Jesus answered this question in verse 3, and he gives us a little bit of direction on what that uh, for us this morning. He says, no, neither one, not the man or his parents, But this happened so that God's works might be seen and might be displayed. You see, this didn't start in India with Hindu theology. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, God made this agreement, this relationship. They called it a covenant with his people Israel. And God's covenant was that God said, if you will follow my instruction, I will take care of you and I will provide for you and I will bless you. But if you disregard my words... If you disregard what I have to say, there's going to be some painful things that are going to come your way. And this is part of God's covenant arrangement with his people. But that truth and that reality has been superimposed into all of life, even outside of that covenant relationship, and it's carried through until now. In the the musical Sound of Music, when Maria and the, the Baron find themselves falling in love. What do they do? They dance and sing. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done what? Something good. You see, it's everywhere. It's not just Old Testament theology or Hindu theology or sound of music theology. It's everywhere. If you do good, good comes. If you do bad, bad comes. But there's some problems with this way of thinking. Some major problems with this way of thinking. The first is that your confusion will increase. Your confusion will increase. You say, what do you mean, John? When the bottom falls out of life, 
when life gets really, really hard, when you find yourself in this dark valley, you will torture yourself replaying the events of your life to try to explain this tragedy, this loss, this pain that you're walking through. I sat with many people in pain and many people in sufferings, and you know the one question that they always asked? What did I do, can you finish the statement, to deserve this, right? What did I do to deserve this? It's that theology that says I must have done something bad. The only reason bad things happen to people who are generally good people is they've messed up somehow. They've screwed up somehow. They've made a mistake. And that's why it happens. When people can't figure this out, when they can't figure out where they messed up, then where does the blame for this go? It goes to God, right? And then they give up on God. And so the first reason this is not a good way of viewing life, a dangerous way of viewing life, is your confusion will increase. The second is your compassion will decrease. Your compassion will decrease. If you believe that good actions result in good things and bad actions result in bad things, what do you have to conclude when you see someone who's going through a difficult time? What do you have to conclude? They've done what? Something bad, right? Something bad. Now, they may have. They may have. But when we have that way of thinking, when we have that theology about life and people, the first thing on our minds is that they've done something bad. That's not a very compassionate response. That may be the case. But there could be many, many other possible solutions. And unfortunately, the Christian community has proliferated this. Shortly after the earthquake of 2010 that was devastating the country of Haiti, over 100,000 people were killed. Pat Robertson came on national TV and said it's God's judgment on the people of Haiti because of their ancestors in the 1800 who made a pact with the devil. An awful thing to say. No theology to base that up. But our compassion will decrease if we live with this way of thinking. But I want to give you an alternative way of thinking as, you, as we walk into that this morning, and that's this. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God in your life. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God in your life. Pain does not mean that God has abandoned you, that he's left you alone, that he's walked away. It does not. And I want to look at a very familiar passage this morning. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 23. There's a Bible in the seat rack in front of you. You can grab that and follow along. It's page 441 on those Bibles, or you can follow along on your phone or on your app. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And let me read the first couple of verses of this to you, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores or refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So this is where this idea of a dark valley comes from. Theologians have called it the dark night of the soul. And they're describing a place, a time, a season, a window, a moment when it's as if you're in a room that's pitch dark and you can't find the door. You don't know why you're in there. You sometimes know how you got in there, but you can't find your way out. And when we think of a valley, 
we tend to think of this. We tend to think of rolling hills, you know, and, and green and lush. But, but in the, the time of the Bible, when they would talk about a valley, they were describing something a little bit more like this. We might call it a canyon. And they call it a wadi, is what they would call it. Because from the mountains, the water would rush down. As the water would rush down over centuries, it carved out these pathways. And as it carved out these pathways, you can see this, the walls are steep, and it's narrow. But there's water there. And so the shepherd would often bring his sheep down to these places because it would be a place where they could get refreshment. But it was also a dangerous place, a risky place, because lurking in the shadows were predators, wolves, lions, thieves, and other kinds of danger. And David, as he's talking in verse 4, he shifts from describing his shepherd in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, and he does all these amazing things. And now it gets really personal. And he says, this is what it looks like for me. What David doesn't say is he doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd so I don't walk through any dark valleys. He doesn't say that, in spite of the fact that we wish he would. But what he says is, when I walk through the darkest of valleys. And he reminds us what we all know to be true. Dark valleys come, all, all, come to all of us, every person. We face those dark valleys professionally when a job doesn't work out. We face those dark valleys personally when we feel abandoned or rejected in a relationship. We face those dark valleys emotionally when we struggle with addiction. We face those dark valleys um, spiritually when God feels far away. We face those dark valleys physically when we're struck with a terminal disease or the ultimate dark valley of death. And so as we're walking into this situation that we agree is common to all of us, I want to suggest a different question. I want to suggest, instead of asking the question, what did I do to deserve this? To asking this question, why am I in this dark valley? Why am I in this dark valley? And I want to give you some possibilities. Some possibilities this morning. The first reason that you might be in the dark valley is you ignored God's principles. You ignored God's principles principles. These wounds are self-inflicted. Paul said this in Galatians 6, 7. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And you might find yourself today in a dark valley, and you're in this dark valley, and if you're going to be honest, you're going to admit to the fact that I've made some choices, I've done some things, and I'm paying the price for them. I'm paying the price for them. I'm digging myself out of debt. I'm living with some heartache. I'm living with some pain. And if that's clear to you, maybe the first step is for you to just come before God and come clean and say, God, I messed up. I blew it. And I know it. And can you forgive me for what I've done? And when you take that responsibility, then you can move forward. You can refine counsel. You can get support. But it doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away because there's consequences to your actions. We had a difficult week in my house a couple weeks ago. Uh, we ended up with multiple tickets in our home, and I did not get one of them. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, and uh, in spite of the fact that the individuals thought, well, they were guilty or not guilty, we had to sit at the table this past week and write some very painful checks out, you know, to uh, certain parts of our state, um, their police department. Why? Because there's consequences. There's consequences, and whether we take responsibility or not, there's consequences for all of our choices. So sometimes the reason we're in that dark valley is our own painful doing. And sometimes we have that happen. Sometimes we have it happen. Here's the second thing. I could be in this dark valley because I live in a fallen world. 
I live in a fallen world. There's a good amount of suffering because we just live in a world that's not perfect. It's not perfect. If you go back to the very beginning of your Bible, and you go all the way back to the very first chapter, Genesis 1 and 2, it was a perfect place. You know? It never hailed. There were never tornadoes. It was never too hot. It was never too cold. There was never accidents. There were never mistakes. There was never suffering. And then what happened? Genesis 3, man was given a choice. Follow God, do what they wanted, and guess what Adam did and Eve did as a representation of all of us? Chose their own way. And so the rest of this book, the rest of the Bible, all the way to the very last book, the book of Revelation, of Revelation 20, is all about mankind, all of us, living in this place that's not perfect. It's broken. It's messed up. And not until you get to Revelation 21, which we're going to look at later this summer, do you get to a place where the Garden of Eden is restored. And it's perfect once again. And so, in the interim, where we're living, we live in a broken world. And things happen. Not because of karma, not because you deserved it, not because you messed up, because you did something wrong. Things happen because we just live in a broken, imperfect place. And sometimes that results in us being in a dark valley. Sixteen months ago, our worship pastor Johnny was hit by a car when he was helping someone on the side of the road in a snowstorm who had been in an accident, suffered a traumatic brain injury. Awful accident. Horrible. Dark valley. And he didn't do anything wrong to deserve it. No one was driving drunk. No one was acting foolishly. It was just in the middle of a storm. And so we're reminded of that sometimes these happen because of where we live. And, and Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8, verse 18. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings, what we're going through now, are not worth compared with the glory that we're going to experience. So he said, it's hard now, but there's something else coming. There's something else coming. He says, the whole creation has been groaning. Like a woman in childbirth. He said, every part of our creation is suffering and struggling with this. And sometimes the pain of life is simply because we live in a broken world. Here's another one. Maybe I'm in this dark valley because of someone else's sin. And this is really a, this is a hard one. I'm caught in the shrapnel of sin of someone else. A drunk driver kills someone that you love. A medical test doesn't catch something that's going on and it gets worse and worse. A mom battles a secret addiction she's not willing to deal with. A dad is promiscuous or caught up in porn. You sound the alarm about abuse and it gets ignored. You see, sometimes a dark valley is because of sin that's happening in the lives of people around us. And it sprays its spew on us. And we find ourselves in those very dark places. This is a hard one. It's a hard one. It's a hard one to be there. It's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't do anything, but I'm there. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a Jewish prophet. His name is Jonah. 
Jonah was given this instruction by God to go to these people called the Ninevites and tell them about this message of hope. He said, nope, I'm not going there. He got on a ship to go 2,200 miles the opposite direction. As he gets on this ship, these seasoned sailors, they don't know who got on this ship. They just took another passenger, maybe make a few bucks on this guy going the other direction. And in the middle of this, God throws this storm on these seasoned sailors. They live their life on the sea. But these guys are scared to death. They think they're going to die. They throw their valuable cargo overboard. They say to everybody there, if you have a God, I don't care who he is, pray that somehow we survive this. Did those guys do anything wrong? They didn't do a thing. They just brought this passenger on board, not knowing this guy was running from God, and God was going to do whatever God had to do to get his attention. Here's another one. Sometimes I'm in a dark valley because I'm following Jesus. Because I'm following Jesus. Say, wait a minute, John, what, what's this? Well, following Jesus doesn't mean no struggles. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee happiness. The truth is when you follow Jesus in our culture, in your family of origin, in the world that you live in, and people around you do not, life is not going to be real easy. And you might find yourself in a very dark valley. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you get a chance to bear his name. You know, the business guy who decides he's going to, the business partner says, I'm going to pay all my taxes even though my partners are going to skim. And guess what happens when there's an audit and somebody finds out? Or the guy that says, I'm not going to that party. I heard there's going to be a lot of alcohol and it's probably not a place I should be. And his buddies say, to him, are you too good for us? Or the girl who's getting pressured by her boyfriend who confesses his undying love to her to be involved sexually, and she says, no, I'm not going there. And he spreads that all around their circle of relationships with social media. Um, you see, sometimes when you choose to honor God, when you choose to follow Jesus, you will find yourself in a difficult place through doing nothing but simply following Jesus. And that leaves you in a dark valley. One last one. I'm in a dark valley because of reasons that I may never understand. Never understand. I don't know about you, but I like to get questions answered. I like to solve problems. I like to figure things out. And if I can't figure it out, I'm going to find three or four other people that can help me figure it out. And so to be faced with questions that never get an answer is really hard. Moses wrote this. He said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He said, there's some things only God gets. There's some things only God gets. And I won't get them. But there is a lot of things that are revealed to us, to our kids, and we have those things forever. So if I'm not supposed to have this view that when I, if I do good, good happens, and bad, bad happens, and if I'm not supposed to have this view that a dark valley means that I've done something wrong, then how do I navigate these valleys, John? When sometimes it's my own fault, but four of them that you put up there, they weren't because I did something wrong. They were because of life, this world, other people, my own choice to follow Jesus. Life's bigger than me. How, how do I navigate this? I want us to go back to the psalm because I think it provides some direction for us. David goes on to say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And he, say, he makes this statement. He says, for you are with me. For you are with me. 
one of the things that helps us navigate this is the knowledge that God is with us. Because when God is with us, I can battle fear even though I don't know what, hap- what will happen. When God is with us, I can live in the broken world. When God is with us, I can face the struggles I'm living with this because of the sin of other people that have spewed over on me. When God is with me, no matter what valley, what struggle, what's taken place, I'm not alone. Remember, the presence of pain does not mean the absence of God in my life. And, and the writers of the Bible, they repeat this over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy 31.8, It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The book of Judges, which is a story about a guy named Gideon who's about to fight a battle in which he is severely outnumbered. And he's wondering, why me? Why did you pick me? I didn't sign up for this. I'm not a brave person. I'm actually quite scared. Why did you pick me? What does God say? He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. As Isaiah 41, the prophet says, don't fear, as the people of Israel are scared, they're surrounded by enemies. I'm going to be with you. And then Jesus, in his last words before he leaves this earth, said, I'm teaching them to, this is what I want you to do, teach them to obey everything. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God, because God says, I will be with you. There's a second thing that I believe the psalmist reminds us of, and that second thing is this. It's, I am not home yet. I am not home yet. Go back to verse 4. What does David say? He says, even though I am building a house in the darkest of valleys. Is that what David says? No. He says, even though I what? What's the word? Walk. Walk. It's not a destination, is it? The valley is not a destination. It's not a permanent place God has for you. It's a stop along life's way. And what it's a reminder for us is there's something more coming. There's something more coming. You know, one of the things I love about, um, you know, the technology that we have today is we can see where there's a red line. We can see how long the traffic is going to be. But what's on the other side of the red line? A green line or a yellow line, right? Because then we know it's going to clear up. And I love reading these last two verses of the psalm with that view in mind. Look what David says. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. His problems haven't gone away, have they? He, he's still got enemies all around him. But he says, you have a table for me. And what do you do at a table traditionally? What do we do at a table? We do what? We eat, right? We're nourished. We're provided what we need. He then says, you anoint my head with oil. This is a tradition, a practice of honoring someone who is of significant importance. So in the midst of my struggle, somehow, God, you're going to honor me. And then he says, my cup, it overflows. Does that picture I have less than what I need, just enough, or more? Which one? You can, you can speak. Less than what I need, just enough, or more? More. David says, I'm in this dark valley, and you're with me. He said, in the midst of my enemies, you feed me. You give me more than what I actually need. And then he closes with this statement. He says, your goodness and love will follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
David says, there's a time coming when you're going to get through that valley, no matter what it is, no matter what it is. And at the other end of that valley, at some point in each of our lives, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we've given our lives to Him, He said, you're going to experience a perfect place, that Garden of Eden again with me. A place where you won't live in a broken world. It'll all be perfect. A place where the pain and suffering that we live with because of the shrapnel that's been spilled out on us, God's going to redeem that in some amazing way. The struggle of things in life that don't make any sense, we either will understand them or it won't matter to us anymore. It says you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And when you find yourself in this dark valley, when you find yourself in this difficult place, I hope that you're able to grab hold of those truths and embrace them as you're walking through that valley. Some of you this morning are not in a valley. Some of you are on the mountaintop. Got a good report from the doc recently. Money in the bank. Family's going well. Job is stable. Living your life trying to honor God. And if that's where you are, I hope you pause today and just thank God for what He's doing in your life. But if you're in that valley, if you're in a dark place, if you've been there this week, for one of those reasons we listed, my hope is that you can be reminded that you are not alone. And that the final chapter has not been written yet. And the presence of pain does not mean the absence of God in your life. And I hope that you can grab hold of those truths and walk with them through the valley that you find yourself in. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? God, you know each one of our stories. Um, you know where each of us is at. And... Uh, God, some of us really need to know that you're with us because we're feeling pretty alone right now. And some of us need the hope of what's to come, that there's something more. And whatever that is, God, I pray that um, you would make yourself known to us. And God, if we're not in that place, but maybe we know someone that today part of our prayer is for them that you would make that a reality to them. And you'd help us to grab hold of these truths. And they might be your staff and your rod when we have to walk through those dark valleys. Lord, we ask that you would help us to grab hold of them and live with them every day in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. If you weren't here with us last Sunday, last Sunday we looked at the question of, is my faith private? Is my faith private? And I challenged everyone this summer to be praying for people in your sphere, the circle of your life, who don't know Jesus. Um, I also encourage you to, to grab, uh, we passed out these cards. There's some more of these on the table as you walk out. Um, if you sit here and I'm talking to you and you don't remember where this card is, 
You have no idea. Some of you are like, oh, John, please don't say that because I have no idea where it is. Um, I want to encourage you to grab one of these or a couple of them. Put it someplace. Put it in your Bible. Stick it in your dashboard. Put it on your mirror at home. Put it on your desk at work. Put it someplace so that you can be praying for people in your life, in your world, who don't know Jesus. And as I said last week, I'm not asking you to invite them tomorrow or next week or next month. I'm asking you to pray for them and invest in them. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get, listen to the message online. Grab these cards as you head out today. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God in your life. He is with you. And there's still another place the followers of Jesus are headed to. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next weekend.